Well, hello there, and welcome to episode four of the Big Year Podcast. I'm Robert Bomander, your guide to the most obsessive and committed birders in North America, those who spend 365 consecutive days chasing, listening to, photographing, and most importantly, counting as many species of bird as they can find in a single calendar year. What's a big year, you ask? Well, for that, we need to go back in time to the late 1800s and the turn of the century. Back then, there was a tradition of birders going out and shooting, yes, shooting, as many birds as they could on Christmas Day. In 1900, Audubon Society ornithologist Frank Chapman asked birders if they would, instead of killing these innocent birds for sport, they could instead count them. Thus was born the Christmas Bird Count, or CBC, that continues to this day. For the first one, Frank Chapman organized birders in 27 cities, including birders in Canada. The sport of shooting birds soon became the sport of chasing and counting the most birds. Eventually, birders would organize big days, 24-hour blitzes to count as many birds as they could in one single day. But the obsessiveness of birders didn't end there. The need for competition eventually led to the Holy of Holies, the big year. In the late 1950s, inspired by Roger Torrey Peterson's book, Wild America, chronicling his 30,000-mile trek across America, where he counted 572 species, the big year was born. Birders competed to surpass Peterson's number, and the competition grew from there, birders attempting to break new records each and every year. In 2012, that's how I got into birding. I had a job that allowed me to travel across North America, so what better way to learn about birding than doing my own big year? I counted 600 species that first year and haven't looked back. Now I get to enjoy and share the stories of other big year birders. Many have done the full ABA big year, but others, like our guest Karen Miller, have done provincial or state big years. The geography of travel may be small, but the commitment is just as big. All out birding from sunrise on January 1st to sunset on New Year's Eve. So join me as we look back on a New Brunswick, Canada big year with Karen Miller. As I have often said, it's not always about the birds, but the places you go and the people you meet that make birding such an amazing experience. So let's meet Karen Miller and enjoy her big year story. Today we have an interesting guest, a big year birder from New Brunswick, Karen Miller. And... If I'm correctly remembering, Karen and her husband helped me get the American oyster catchers that were in... No, it was San Brunswick, off of Grand. Oh, it was New Brunswick. Okay. That's yeah. my, my mind goes to different places because I've been to so many places. That's right. <laughs> Especially this year. Yes, very much. So Karen and her husband took me out on their boat, took pity on me when I needed to get American oyster catchers in New Brunswick after I had done a pelagic in Grand Manan. And it was mm -hmm. a wonderful experience because I don't know that I was going to get those two birds any other way. But what I didn't know at the time was that Karen holds the record for the biggest New Brunswick big year. Can you tell me a little That's bit about correct. that and how you ended up doing New Brunswick big year and why nobody else is? Because I know there are a few people like Mitch Doucette who work very hard at their New Brunswick list. I started in January 2017, just trying to get as many birds as I could. I wasn't actually focused at the time on a big year. I had I had done a, a, what I would call a big year the year before, 2016, and ended up with 282 for the year. And so then in January, I just started to try to see as many as I could in January, and then it grew from there. And at the time, January wasn't that great of a month 
in 2017 for me. I've actually surpassed that several times since then. But as the year progressed, we discovered that 2017 was a great year for rare birds in New Brunswick. We had a lot of visitors that typically we wouldn't see perhaps once every 10 years or so. So it was a great year to to do a big year. Another gentleman, Jim Wilson, also did a big year that year, and he's known in New Brunswick. He has the most birds actually seen in New Brunswick in his lifetime. So he's getting very close to 400 species seen in New Brunswick, which is obviously the record. Which is pretty and good during it's a very small province, but obviously... When you're on the ocean, that makes a huge difference. Yes, we do get a lot of the pelagic birds as well as the land birds. And we have massive shorebird migration primarily in the fall. So we get a lot of the shorebirds as well. So anyway, I just continued to try to get as many as I could month to month. And I ended up with 303. Now, three of those were herd birds only. 300 species I saw and three I heard very clearly, very distinctly. And were those the owls or? There was a long-eared owl that I actually heard when I was doing my own owl survey up by Sussex. And the another one I saw was a really nasty day. There was a tufted titmouse in St. George that had been there, and I had seen it previous years there. I went on this rather nasty day, and I heard him. I knew where he was, but it was such bad weather that I just couldn't <laughs> seem to get him to come out at all. Well, I know that heard, feeling. Yes, yes. And the third herd bird was wood thrush, which I actually heard twice that in different locations. But that, again, is a bird that I often would hear but not see. And is very distinctive, very melodious, wonderful song that when you're in yes. the woods. Yeah. I remember being on a trip before I knew what a wood thrush song was, even though I had seen them many times. But yes. we were traveling through Michigan and we would stop at some of these roadside rest stops and we'd just take a quick walk in the woods and we'd hear this song and I was like, that is beautiful, but what is it? And this was long before you had an app that would tell you what bird is singing. And a couple of years later, I discovered that was a wood thrush and we'll never forget that call. And what is it like in a small province doing a big year. Obviously, we have a lot of people who attempt Ontario big years, but Ontario is a huge province and you can have yes. 16, 22 hour drives just to get somewhere in some cases. And it's a three day trip. And obviously yeah. Canada, which I just finished, you're going coast to coast back and forth over and over again. So as far as exactly. travel in New Brunswick, obviously you're going to be going to the, some of the islands and you need to take your boat. But can you drive almost there anywhere in a day in New Brunswick for birding and chasing? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I live just outside of St. John in Quispamsis, and Nisku Island is the furthest point, not technically the first furthest point north, but it would be an island. And uh, I went to Nisku five times, but they were all day trips. Nisku would be five hours from my house, and I often would leave in the middle of the night so I could be there at sunrise. Oh, yeah. See various species that were up there. And then Grand Manan. Which is which wonderful. Is yes, which is wonderful where I'm spending most of my time now. I, it's an hour's drive to the ferry, but then you have to wait for the ferry, and the ferry ride itself is an hour and a half. And, and so that, that can take up. A, but you can do it in a day. You can still do a day trip. And In fact, my big year, I ended up going to Grand Manan 18 times that year. Wow. And But a lot of them were day trips mm. or one-night 
overnight. And a lot, and our pelagic trips are all out of Grand Manan for the most part here in Grand, New Brunswick. So I did, I did four pelagic trips that year. Yeah. And then up into the northwest corner, I didn't actually make it all the way to that corner of the island, but I did a couple of trips, oh, probably three quarters of the way up. And again, they would just be day trips. And yeah, it's a lot easier in a smaller province because it's basically all car. We didn't have any flying. <laughs> well, you had a lot of airtime. No, you're Canadian no, here. I was lucky that New Brunswick was very good to me in 2022 with uh, my endless chase for the Stellar Sea Eagle, which you guys finally provided uh, the, uh, yes. the sighting. And then at the end of the year, the uh, green-tailed towhee, which was a very unexpected uh, bird that I would never have got if I wasn't coming to Nova Scotia for two or three other birds. Yes, exactly. Yeah, That made up for the fact that I didn't go out west for something because I would have only got one of the two birds anyway. Okay. At that point, at the end of the year, it's more about just adding as many numbers of species as you can, as opposed to during the middle of the year where you're just trying to see all the great birds that you can. Yes, and that particular year that I did my big year, 2017, there were actually 20 species that were seen in the province that I actually chased. And mm-hmm. I didn't see. So there were other, um, we had a great gray owl that year that I didn't see. We had the fork-tailed flycatcher as well as the scissor-tailed flycatcher, which show up occasionally. Every few years, you'd have a report. The great gray owl, mind you, it could be 10 or 15 years before we have another one of those. So there were some birds that could have been even better if my timing had been better for some of those other birds. Yes, I had at least half a dozen birds from uh, 2022 that, I should have got, I missed by anywhere between an hour and a day. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I, you learn very quickly that you're not going to get them all and you just need to focus on the ones you do see and let go the ones you don't see. Yes. And the other thing I discovered that year too is if you're going, if you really want to see a bird, don't wait until tomorrow. Yes, that's very important. Two or three of them, if I had gone as soon as I'd heard about the bird. And some of them were only an hour away from my home. And, that's uh, tough. If I had gone, I would have caught them because they were seen into that evening. And so, yeah, don't waste a lot of time if you're really trying to get those numbers. And that's certainly the advice you have to give to anybody who's contemplating any kind of big year is that that you have to get on a plane or get on a in the car or go to the bird as soon as you can. Sometimes it is difficult. I definitely have to think about it when I'm in Vancouver and there's a bird in PEI, which in this case was the gray heron last year. And I had to put it off and off because there were three or four or five or 10 other birds that I knew I had to get. If I went just for the gray heron, I, I might've missed three or four birds for the rest of the year. So I yeah. ended up getting lucky because after I did the uh, one of the trips to Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, I just drove into PEI, and luckily the gray heron was still there. Okay, that's yeah. sometimes it's just a little bit of luck. What bird would you say was your biggest regret not chasing? The gray owl, I think. Yeah, I still don't have that as a lifer. Oh, okay. That- it would have been a lifer for me. Yes. Oh. Wow. And there hasn't been one in New Brunswick, hasn't been one recorded since then. There are, uh, I'm just trying to think if that was the year we also had the Lashley bunting, but I don't see it on my chart. It may have been a different year. Now, that was also the year, 2017, when we had the missile crash. 
Yes, and uh, I did come for that. Yes, and so that was a, a, an adventure for me because I set out on a really stormy day, and I, Jim Wilson, the other fellow that was doing a big year, was just ahead of me by a boat. No, I think he was behind me by about 20 minutes because he was going up as well. And uh, that way up, I ended up in the ditch. No. So, and I texted him because I thought he's going to see my little red car in the ditch. And Rescue you? So I texted him and said, I'm in a ditch, but I'm okay. And the tow truck is on the way. But I managed to get out of the ditch within the hour. And several birders had already made it up to Marishi, where the bird was, and had reported that it was easily seen. And you don't have to rush. It's feeding quite comfortably in the mountain ash bushes and stuff. So... I did manage to get up there and see it. Was and that the most exciting bird of the year? That was probably the most exciting bird, yes. Yeah, yeah, because it was obviously new to North America. Yes. So it was huge, for sure. Now, the other bird that we had in St. John that year was the common shell duck. Ooh. That, yes, that was discovered during our St. John Christmas bird count. So mm. I did see that the following day as well. It was seen in December of 2016, and I saw it, and then I went back and saw it again for my 2017 big year. So that was, it was just a great year for rare birds. We had the Crested Terra. Okay, yes. Obviously, we don't see very often in in New Brunswick. We had a Swainson's Hawk. I'm just trying to look at, we had a burrowing owl that was on Grand Manan for several months, and of course, they're from home. Yeah, so it was, and the last bird I think that I recorded that year was the grasshopper sparrow, which was a lifer for me. And also uh, pretty and, rare for New Brunswick, I'm expecting. It is rare, yeah, and Mitch Doucette and I happened to be up looking, I think we were probably looking for a snowy owl, I can't, I'd have to go back in my journal, but we, I saw the sparrow, and he looked at it and thought, oh, I think it's just a regular, and he wasn't even going to take a picture of it, Mitch, and he takes yeah. pictures of everything. I, uh, and I said, yeah, no, he, he shared a nice picture he yeah. took of me, which I never like pictures of myself, and he captured No, I have quite a few of me as well that he has sent me. So anyway, I said, no, Mitch, start taking pictures of that bird, he just doesn't look right to me at all, it's just a sponsor or whatever. So he started just snapping pictures, and then we started looking at them, and I said, oh, my soul. I said, I think that's a grasshopper sparrow. Wow. So we sent it to an expert here in New Brunswick right then and there and said, Stu Tingley. We sent it to Stu Tingley, and he came back, and he said, yes, he said, that's a grasshopper sparrow. So that was a great December bird for mm-hmm. my big year. Yes, all yes. anything you can get in December that you weren't expecting is definitely going to make your month and your day and your year, because that's... Yes. That's what the green tail towie was for me. Speaking of that crested caracara, when I was in Nova Scotia and heading to New Brunswick to see the green tail towie, someone in the chat mentioned that crested caracara, but because I'm not familiar with everything that's going on, I thought that bird was there at the same time. And I'm messaging my friend in Nova Scotia saying, Oh, and I can get the crested caracara too. And he says, Oh, where's the, where's that? And I'm like, Oh, let me check. And then I read through the notes again. And I said, Oh, they're talking about something from a couple of years ago because you were all talking about other rare birds you had seen. And okay. And someone mentioned that one. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, great. That's going to be a fantastic bird to get. So glad I'm on my yeah. way. But mm-hmm. everyone at the green tail towie that was just amazing, especially because they knew that I was doing a big year and they, were very helpful in getting me on the bird as well as just yeah. getting me to the spot where the bird was. 
I was there that morning. That was the same day that I got the green tail towie. Wow. Okay. And yeah. Definitely. Because you were having to go back to Nova Scotia, I think. Yes. And I yes. I was going to come back the next morning to get a photo, but I didn't. But I was happy with just seeing it. Yes. Yeah. And the same thing when you guys took me out to the American Oyster Catchers, I was at a loss because someone had just mentioned that, oh, there's a couple that have been taking people out on a boat. And I was like, yeah. okay, but I didn't remember who it was. And I was waiting for the ferry to take me across. And what I was going to do is just look for Bill's Island on the map as the ferry was going across and hopefully get that to look at it. And the ferry was delayed. This is one of those things when you're doing a big year, sometimes there's this little bit of serendipity and the ferry was delayed. It had mechanical issues. And so while I was waiting for it, I just started walking around and I saw your boat pull in and a couple of people with binoculars get off. And I thought, (laughs) Hey, I wonder if they're birders. I'm going to go down there and, and, Ask them, and you guys were like, "Yeah, we've been doing this all day. We got the oyster catcher shuttle," and I was <laughs> like, "Thank you. I'm I'm so grateful." And the fact that you were able to take me out there for uh, those birds—it's sometimes when you're doing a big year, every people will say, "Yeah, but it's only one bird, one bird, one bird, one bird." Sometimes there they were probably twenty to 30 just one birds that if I hadn't gone for them, I would not have come as close to setting the record as I did, which is a bit, yes, which indeed. is a, which is something you have over a lot of other people who do big years. You actually have a record. And yeah, yeah. what was the feeling going into December to the point where you saw that you were going to have a good chance at breaking the record? I had broken the record before, the year before. The old oh. record was 272. Oh, and, okay. and the year before, I got 282. Oh, And wow. so I had all, I already held the record, but I thought, well, if we have a good year, you should be able to get more than that. Because the year before, I didn't chase as many birds. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't really put my whole heart and soul into it. By the end, I'm just looking at my chart here from my big year. By the end of September of 2017, I was only one away from my own record. I was already wow. at 281. Yeah, so I thought, oh, this could be phenomenal. I really should shoot for 300. And and so by the end of November, I had 299. So I was really close. And then I was able to pick up four more in in December. So you see, I already knew I was going to break the record <laughs> come October. Right? Come October, I had done it. But, but it was just trying to get 300. That's a lot of people in New Brunswick that have been birding for several years wouldn't have 300 species yet. In fact, it took me decades to get to 300 as far as um, species in New Brunswick. And it had only been a couple of years before that I had actually got my 300th bird. Getting 300 in one year was the target after I realized that we were having a good year anyway, because you wouldn't be able to do that most years. I know you, you and I both know how Mitch just goes after the bird and uh, he has phenomenal years basically every year but to get that 300 it, you have to have those rare birds coming in you have to it has to be the right year and you certainly picked it what your competition what did he end up with he ended up with 297 so he also broke your earlier big year yes the 2016 yeah. yes he did for sure so that's something to be proud of regardless of the uh, yes yeah. The now outcome. he also had he had a couple of other commitments that prevented him from seeing a couple of birds because I would 
text him a few times and say, I'm looking at this bird. And he'd say, oh, done, I'm fishing. And there was me. <laughs> it wasn't even, he was doing other things. So he certainly could have hit 300 if he mm. hadn't had other things, busyness in his in his schedule. But it was fun. It was fun to have someone else doing it at the same time, a friend, because obviously he would text me if he saw something that was a little more challenging to mm. see, and we were able to help each other out. And that's, that's part of birding too, right, is that you're not in competition really with all the other birders. You're in competition with yourself. And I was talking about with Eve Morell the other day, the competition aspect is very different than almost any other sport because you want to win your big year. You want to, if possible, set a record, but a big year birder is almost willing to sacrifice winning the big year if they can help another birder get a bird that they've seen. Yes, a lifer. Yes. and Yes, for sure. And that is, I think, rare in any kind of sport or activity and even as far as birding goes the amount of help people are willing to go out of their way when it comes to a lifer is just phenomenal experiences that i had in my big years are the birders more so than the birds sometimes and as far as your big year what was probably the one or two situations where you just needed you remember one or two birds like that i do i remember first of all once a lot of people in New Brunswick found out that I was doing a big year, I had strangers messaging me all the time. Oh, I'd have them calling me, like old school, <laughs> calling me on the phone. And I understand you're doing a big year and I've got this thing in my yard or down the street or whatever. So that's so heartwarming to know that I wasn't actually doing it by myself because everyone was helping me. And of course, I voted regularly with two other people all year anyway. Every weekend we would go together, the three of us. And they were obviously helping. And it's always nice to have six eyes rather than just two eyes looking mm. for a bird. So that was such a bonus. And I remember one time I went up to the northern part of the province, not quite to Miss Island, but just a little bit southern. I don't even remember which village it was in now. And they saw me pull in. Of course, my license plate is Karen's on my car. So everybody Everyone knows me. your name. <laughs> They know my name, even if they don't know me, because my license plate. And I would show up, and an elderly gentleman came out, and he said, oh, you're looking for the mountain bluebird or whatever. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, come with me. He said, I'm going to show you where it is. So these complete strangers would walk me through fields or in, in down by the shore or wherever to make sure that I saw this bird that they had in their yard or on their property. And that happened several times where I would end up going somewhere and someone would come over and say, are you Karen? Are you doing the big year? Oh, come over here. I want you to see this or whatever. So that certainly happened on more than one occasion where complete strangers were helping me see these birds. So it was pretty awesome. And of course, you get to meet a lot of people that way too. If you think about it too much, you're going, I'm just getting into a car with someone I've never met and they're going to drive me into the middle of nowhere (laughs) and you just do it. That's the beauty of the birding community is that they're so immensely helpful. Speaking of the East Coast, when I was in Newfoundland in 2012 and I was doing my ABA area big year, I get an email on the blog I was writing saying that she just found my blog and she read the whole thing beginning to end and she was intrigued by everything I was doing. And I said, thank you very much. By the way, you happen to know where I could see a purple finch because I hadn't seen a purple finch that year yet. And she says, oh, oh okay. I, I have them at my feeder. And yes. she gave me her address 
and said, just come on anytime you want. You'll see them at my feeder. That was just, like you said, it's an example of how birders will do things for other birders that they probably would never do for anyone else in any other situation. What else do you remember about the big year that still stands out in your memories and makes it Assuming one of the best years you ever did as a birder. And and the other thing about a big year is obviously you're chasing every bird and you're going to pick up a lot of lifers. I probably had 15 or 16, I'm, I don't have the number right in front of me, that I had never seen before. Birds that I would have probably chased even if I had been doing a big year. But because I was in that mindset, I was going earlier than I perhaps. I may have planned, well, I'll try to do that this coming weekend or whatever. Yes, doing a big year, you're on the road every day. Yes, Of the lifers that may not have necessarily been rare ones, do you have a standout bird? That year would have been the crested caracara, probably. And they were all great birds, like Mm. the shell ducks, the common shell ducks, which obviously we've never seen here in Brunswick before or since. That was a one-off. I I managed to see a couple of barnacle geese, which are becoming a little more frequent, but still not every year. And uh, we had a purple gallinule, which was the first one I had seen. Here, the burrowing owl, obviously, should have been down in Florida for the winter and yes. ended up here. And uh, and the grasshopper sparrow that I shared with you. At the end of the year, there's a certain feeling you get on January 1st when it's all over and you go, now what? Did What was after you finished and you broke the record and you hit more than 300? It was all over. What was your feeling? Yeah, my thought was, how many can you get if you don't chase almost every day? How mm. many can you normally expect as a seasoned birder? How can we look at this as somewhat of a normal year? And so I did start trying, obviously, that particular year, my big year, I only had, I'm just trying to look at my charts here, I only had 76 for January that year. Even this year, I'm already up to 79. So I'm now looking at how many can I get in January. And the year after my big year, January, I managed to get 87. And I thought, well, I'm not going to go to Miskawan five times, and I'm not going to perhaps do four pelagic trips. I'm not going to go up to St. Leonard five times or whatever. I'm not going to do that extensive amount of traveling, but right. just a normal amount of strategic birding. How could I, how many birds could I get? So I was aiming for 250. I ended up at 273 in 2018, which was the year after my big year, which still broke the original record, right? <laughs> 272. But back when the 272 was set, that was back in the 90s when you didn't have the communication that we have today. That is the biggest difference between big years. Yes. Now and then, I'm sure you're familiar with Sandy Comito, who set two big year records. The last one was in 1998. He was talking about the fact that you know, all these new birders in the last five years have outstripped his record by, in some cases, 60 birds. But yeah. the difference is that there are hundreds of more birds on the ABA list now. Climate has yeah. changed to the fact that storms are bringing more birds more people are birding and finding rare birds, and you have all this great communication. As much fun as it is for being able to do what we're doing now, you have to admire people who did it in the 70s, 80s, in and the 90s. 90s. Yeah, because they Absolutely, were just because, doing it. Yes, and they were finding most of those birds on their own because the communication, was there was such a lag, time lag from seeing a bird until it was actually publicized. And it was a couple of gals that I know that did that back in the 90s. And they were just going all the time. They were both retired and they were just flat out birding all the time. Whereas 
I did, I still was working part-time during my big year, but I still was able to go in the afternoons. And of course, the communication was instant. Yes. Because I had strangers messaging <laughs> me. And so I, I had hundreds of people literally helping me. So it's a, it's certainly a different environment now. Mm-hmm. And uh, every year now, I'm, I always aim for at least 250. And I've been successful every year for the last six years, except for one in getting 250. And it was last year, actually, that I didn't get 250 because we had a project here on Grand Manan that took up a lot of our time in the last four months. But people can really, and even new birders can pick up 300 birds in New Brunswick within a few years if they really put some time into it without having to spend a lot of money going seven days a week. So, yeah, it is a different environment for sure. Yeah, that fact that you get to live somewhere that birding is such a, a bonus because you've got so many species that just may show up at any time. And you can you get this, I guess, this heightened sense of excitement every time there's a storm. Yes. Exactly. We look forward to the storm. It's only birders that want to go to Seward's Lagoon Seward's and dump, right? Yes, that's right. The, <laughs> All uh, the places that people avoid. It's funny because there have been stories of birders who that's their first date with, with yeah, their future spouse. It's, yeah. it's, oh, you meet a birder as a potential dating partner. It's, oh, where do you want to go this weekend? Let's go to the sewage lagoons. And they go, okay. Yes, exactly. What a great date. Yeah. <laughs> or out in the middle of the night, sitting in a truck listening for owls. Yes, for sure. And what advice would you give as a provincial big year birder? It's obviously, it's very different than someone yes. who's going to be traveling around North America or a country. If you would have number one piece of advice to give to a young person who's contemplating a big year, would it be to learn the province first before you do the big year and just learn all the different hotspots? Would you say that do it or wait a year? There's no harm in trying because you never know which year is going to bring in the more rarity. I would say unless money is an issue, but the other thing about the money is if you strategically, when you're going to visit, like here in New Brunswick, there are strategic times to visit the St. George Mark. There are strategic times to go to the Sackville wetland area and to do pelagics off of Grand Manan. There are certain birds that you're going to get 1st of July down on Grand Manan. You know, the best time, if you want numbers, the May long weekend, for example, on Grand Manan is phenomenal for birds. Usually we can get well over 120 species in three days. So there's going to be times. It's a matter of timing when you hit the hotspots. And of course, now with eBird, you can look up all the hotspots. You can go through eBird. You can do some couch work in December if you're really planning to start something January and find those hotspots. And eBird even has the charts as to when you're more likely to see certain species. Mm. Now, there's 150 birds you don't even have to worry about. You're not going to have to worry about a chickadee or a blue jay. But you want to have in your mind birds that are going to be more difficult for you to see, that perhaps are only here in migration, and you'll want to study those, find out the time of year and the most productive places to go. And you're going to, and here in New Brunswick, if you want to get numbers, you're going to have to do a pelagic trip. That's and we have, Alain Clavet plans several, Jim Wilson plans a couple, so you have to sort of plan to be on those pelagic trips, and, and you're going to pick up 10 or 12 species easily that, for the most part, are more difficult to get from shore. 
planning and timing that you really do have to do yes, in sweet. order to make it less painful and less stressful in December. That's very true. And obviously, just not waiting and thinking about it, especially in a province where you can drive everywhere in five hours. That's right. Just get in the car and go. And it helps if you have someone that's willing to do it with you. If you can find someone that's as keen as you. And for me, I had a couple of people that went with me on the weekend. They didn't go during the week for the most. They did occasionally. But it was great. We could share the driving. And you've got more eyes looking for the prize. And that makes a huge difference. When you've got three or four people looking for this bird, it's more likely to be seen quickly than if it's just you trying to find it by end. If you can find someone that's willing to do it with you, it just adds to it, I think. It adds adds to the fun. And And that's where I'm going to get to one last thing is, for me, I did as much of this as I could actually by myself. I wanted it to be just me finding the birds. But there were a couple of times where I saw a real rarity, a code five, and there was absolutely nobody there to go, yay or hug or high five or whatever did you yeah. have a experience like that where it was like i would have loved to have had someone here to share it with and see it with me but you were the only one there when you got to this rare bird the barnacle goose was that way i was by myself when i went up to woodstock to see the barnacle geese the three originally and unfortunately a hunter got one of them before i got there there were still two there and i studied the barnacle goose and i knew that it sounded like a little dog right it has that little yappy dog kind of call and I was looking at some of Canada geese out on the on the river and I heard the dog I heard this little <laughs> yap yap and I thought oh my and I was almost ready to give up and I thought oh my soul I can't give up now I can hear it I've got to find <laughs> it and of course I had this scope and I was down on the end of this road that was basically a boat launch with my scope there and I was trying to find this bird and these thousands of birds and when I did finally it I said right out loud oh there it is and I thought oh my soul I'm here all by myself nobody can even hear me yeah but I did have a few birds that I was by myself when I some really great birds and uh, yeah it's better if you have someone there to share that with I think the fun of the modern era with social media is that when you do have that experience you could at least share it instantly friends on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And they get to experience it with you and you get to the feeling that someone else is there, even if they're not. Yes. Yes, that's true. And for the barnacle goose, there were other people coming. They were on their way to see this bird because it was quite a rare find for New Brunswick. And I was able to say, yes, indeed, it's right here. I'm looking at it. There's two of them. Listen for the little barking dog out there and then try to find that barking dog. It'll be the barnacle goose. And a couple of people did see it after I had left already. So, and I was able to, great, congratulations. I'm glad you, you were able to see it. Yeah, it was, but it was, it was almost that letdown to know that you're standing there all by yourself when you see this great bird. Yes. <laughs> and of course, I don't take, I don't carry a camera. Hmm. So I wasn't taking pictures and it was just a matter of, you know, I hope someone else gets here and is able to see it, even though I wasn't able to take a picture of exactly where it was. Although I tried to describe it and that sort of thing. But yeah, it is, I enjoy birding by myself, but I enjoy more so when I'm birding with Mark or someone else to be able to share that. My personality type is to be by myself and I can enjoy that. But the one thing I've discovered about birding is that you can do something that is completely solo, but then have these moments of interaction with people who get you and understand your yeah the community your passion and desire to see one thing and one of my favorite things about birding in groups is that 
You can walk up to a bunch of birders, start a conversation, see a particular bird, and then just literally turn around and walk away and nobody's offended. Nobody's they, offended. <laughs> nobody's offended. Nobody thinks that you were rude. And I think a lot of birders have that personality type where it's, I can talk to you for five minutes, but then I have to go and look for something else. And what would you say your personality type is in terms of being social with people and your desire to just do something by yourself? I'm, I do enjoy my own company. And I, I've done most of my birding up until the last few years by myself. I rarely, up until 2016, I always was birding by myself. And I've been birding for 50 years, and I started by myself. My parents spent a lot of time at our summer cottage where there wasn't anybody around. Just us, we were on a dead-end road on a lake, and I started birding there, and I'd just walk into the woods and... I was always by myself, so that's how I started. So I wasn't connected with other birders back when I was a teenager, and I wasn't expecting it to be a social thing. It was a time for me to just be out, out in the woods by myself or out on the lake by myself, and I still really enjoy birding by myself, although I am more interested in being with small groups. I, I find some of the pelagic trips, there's up to 35 people, I find that a little too might prefer yeah. a smaller group than that normally, although I do the pelagic trips, obviously. But And I don't enjoy the groups that can form that are more social than they are birding. Yes, I'm a serious birder, and I do want to see the birds. I'm not too much into the chattering, the social part mm -hmm. of it, that some of them are, and that's great. I think birding is a hobby that can attract all different kinds of personalities and people with different desires as to what they want to get out of it. And But I personally prefer the smaller groups or, or by myself. When we go on trips to places like Panama and Ecuador, you always see this tour group that has 30 people in it or 20 people in yes. it. And then they, we're sitting at our little table by ourselves enjoying our quiet dinner. And there's this boisterous group of 30 people who are all part of the same tour. And we look at that and go, oh, I'm so glad we just did this by ourselves. We if you're, particularly if you're doing a big year or going for a certain, you seriously want to see the birds. Yes. And, you know, I've done trips where I've literally packed a cooler and I haven't gone into a restaurant. I've got all the food I need. I don't have to stop. I don't have to leave a beach because I have to go have lunch somewhere. And I think a lot of us are more than willing to grab a sandwich or a granola bar or something and keep going. And if you get into a larger social group, that's probably not going to happen. And that's, that's why the birding community is so incredible because it is so diverse. There's every yes. range of person from someone who just is retired and part-time to business executives, to millionaires, to surgeons yes. that you're standing next to on a boat vomiting together and there's no shame <laughs> and there's no hierarchy anymore. No, for sure. No. Any, any last comments you want to make before we wrap this up? I guess. For any serious birders that are listening, I would I would strongly recommend you give it a try. I encourage everyone to at least try a big year, and perhaps you won't break any records, but you'll you'll meet some interesting people, you'll see some great birds, you'll probably discover places in your own province if you're doing a provincial that you have never been to before. I ended up going to places that I had never been before, and it was just an adventure 
in your own area, your own province, your own country, you aim to do. And I really do encourage everyone to give it a try at least once. That is that is my advice as well. And Karen, thank you so much for coming on and helping me get this podcast off the ground. Thanks again for the American Oyster Catchers and meeting you again at the Green Tail Toey. I didn't even realize when Mitch told me to look for you at the Green Tail Toey that you and Mark were the same people who took me out on the boat. I was like, <laughs> we were bundled up differently. And Mark, we were bundled up in our winter garb. <laughs> and Mark, they took you to, to the oyster catcher. And I was like, oh, yes, that's right. And I just pretended that I knew that when I walked up to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks again. Well, anyway, best of luck. Best of luck this year. Thank who knows you. what this year will bring. Take care. And if I ever need help with a rare bird, I'll be looking you guys up. Okay, then. Okay, take care. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, thanks once again to Karen Miller for taking the time out of her busy birding schedule to chat with me. Meanwhile, as of today, April 3rd, 2023, the weather is beginning to warm up here in southwestern Ontario and migration season is underway. Nothing warms a birder's heart more than the arrival of songbirds from the south. So no more time to talk. I've got to get out there and find some birds. Take care and come back soon for another story from the world of big year birders. Bye-bye.